to share the word. So why don't you uh, praise God for the word of God and the man of God that's going to share the platform. Thank you. Thanks, Joel. Thanks, everyone. Grab a seat. How good was Pastor Kevin's communion? My goodness. I love when someone's so good with their Bible that they beat the phone people. You know what I mean? Like there was some flicking. And I caught that glimpse of like uh, the highlighter has been very active in that Bible. Love it. Love it. Awesome. So I think Pastor Kevin might be a bit prophetic as well because today we're going to be um, talking about some of the things that he began talking about. A matter that's very close to my heart. In fact, today we're going to be talking about the heart. In my research for today's sermon, I found out some, uh, some facts about the heart. Did you know that the heart is actually the hardest working muscle in your body. Did you know that? I find that very interesting. That makes me think I need to uh, use my heart to lift a bit more, you know, to even lift, you know. And uh, people often, I think nowadays it's got to the point where people kind of think of their heart as being like a servant to their brain. Like, but the reality is, that a heart can actually survive for four minutes outside your body, not connected to any part of your body. As long as it has oxygen, it can survive. I find that really interesting too. And also, scientists are increasingly finding that it's not just uh, your brain telling you what to feel, that there's actually a two-way dialogue between your heart and your brain, and there's even a complicated cluster of neurons that we use to think that surrounds our heart, which is really weird, right? What are they doing there? See, if our heart doesn't affect emotion, then why do emotions affect our heart? They say that a heart with negative emotions and that's full of sadness or full of depression that those things can very easily, very quickly move your heart to experiencing heart disease. And did you know, I, I found out heart disease is actually the number one killer of mankind. I just found that so very telling. I'm saying negative emotions hurt your heart. And that's the number one killer of mankind. So what does that tell you about mankind's emotional health? Conversely, joy, optimism, and peace boost your immune system. They create happy hearts and long lives. And today I'm going to be talking also about uh, how the right attitude in your heart can assist you with your service as well. But we're going to be getting to the bottom of our hearts. I did have a video that I wanted to play uh, for you that uh, I didn't actually end up getting. So I might act it out for you. <laughs> uh, for the church that's seen me act, you know I do a terrible job. Uh, let's give it a go. Are there any fans of uh, Mr. Tyson? 
dress for the Holy Grail? Yeah. <laughs> All right. So King Arthur and his merry men are dressed in a full regalia of armor. You're gonna have to use your imaginations today, people. And uh, and they don't have horses. They've just got coconuts. All right. So even they were kind of just acting. And and they're marching on their quest for the Holy Grail. Come on, if you can do it, let's do it. to fix the world, it's going to be amazing, suddenly the devil pulls on that little thread and the whole jumper comes unwound and we feel unaffected. Yeah. Our hearts become hardened. It becomes hard to even feel anything at all. I think it's probably a worthwhile saying for us to adopt that before we go out to make disciples... It's important to go in yeah, come on. and make sure that we've removed the log from our own eye, from our own eye, from the way we see, from the way we feel, to make sure that we are true disciples. You know, Jesus didn't just tell the disciples, "Go make fishes of men. See you later. Go and do it. See you later." Did he? He discipled them. He took them to the depths of themselves. They had to look in the mirror. And they had to change. They had to transfigure. They had to become like Christ. So today, I want you to imagine this. Today we're going to be talking about our heart. And we're going to be talking about three walls that we can encounter around our heart. They're consecutive walls. The first one is pride. The next one is hurt, and the last one is shame. And we're going to be undermining them. We're going to be demolishing them, yeah, come on. and we're going to be tearing them. Come on, really All right? Yeah. Sound good? Good. That's a good energy from this place, man. Good. You're going to need that energy to get these walls. All right, let's do it. Pride. <laughs> Hebrews 3.13 says, But exhort one another every day, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Pride is a deceiver. 
It justifies itself as truth in an, ex- in an incessant attempt to deny its existence. I don't think anybody really wants to be seen as proud. They want to believe that the claim that they're making about their own authority and grandiosity is truth. And it doesn't care, the thing about pride as well is that it doesn't care who it has to hurt in order to maintain the delusion. The safest question you can ask yourself, therefore, if pride tries to hide itself, the safest question you can ask is not if you have pride, it's how are you dealing with the pride that you already have. See how that will change it for you? When I think of pride, uh, I think of, has everyone seen Frozen here? Pride is like a beautiful fortress. It's brittle and it's beautiful that we build around ourselves, all right? And in that space, you are in control. Everything looks perfect. You're, the, you're uh, so powerful. No one can touch you. Not your friends, not your family, not even God can touch you. And let me take this a step further. Not even you can touch you. And let me explain what I mean by that. Because did you really think your pride would let ugly you live in the beautiful fortress? There's no way. Pride is our condemner. It calls us imperfect. It won't let us live in this beautiful fortress. It, we happily go and live in the dungeon with fear that if anybody would realize that this fast that we're holding up, that it could all come crumbling down on us. We happily become a slave to our pride. See, pride's a bully. Denies problems, refuses accountability, and it belittles other people in order to maintain its status. It says, I am right, full stop. Conversation over. See, haven't you met people like that, that always have to be right, people that can never say sorry? I think we've all have. I think maybe even if we're being honest, since we're being honest, maybe even we've been that before. In the other words, pride is self-righteous. But since righteousness and truth belong to God alone, pride is actually mirroring the heart of Satan that sought to make himself the judge, that sought to be above the stars, to dethrone God. You know, when I was telling Pastor Cherie about this sermon, she said, you can't just jump to saying that. (laughs) You need to step people towards this realization. It's true. Pride is the same seed of sin that was in Satan's heart when he sought to dethrone God. So why don't we just stop playing the games? Why don't we just get real about ourselves? See, 
We are not the Messiah. It's so hard to hear. Like, there's something within all of us, and you see it time and time again in art, where it's the chosen one, you know? We desire. It's, it's wish fulfillment, these art we're making. We desire to be the chosen one. It's not you. It's not me. But I want to tell you today, we're talking about serve, and you were chosen for something. But before you can get there, there's that little wall called pride that's sometimes too big. <laughs> See, I think of people in the Bible, uh, God can actually use proud people, but in the process of using them, He chastises their hearts. It's hard. It's what they go through is hard. There's a way of doing it easier. Consider Jonah, who asked to do something, goes kicking and screaming. Consider Samson, who in his hard-heartedness and in his pride and in his own strength is reduced to being bound to the temple pillars with his eyes gouged out because he did it the hard way. I'm trying to save you a step, hopefully. Hopefully we don't have to go there. See, I love this image. I found out about the heart, that there's two sides to every heart. That one side on the right-hand side is actually for processing waste and carbon dioxide. And the left-hand side is for refreshing the heart with new oxygen, with new nutrients. You can't ignore that you've got some waste to process. And you know, the stronger God makes your heart, the more waste you're going to be able to take into your life. I don't know if you've got uh, friends in your life that you've ever felt do this thing where they just dump on you. <laughs> they call you up, you're like, oh, this is nice. They give me a phone call. And then the next thing, it's just, oh, my day's this, my family's this, life, life, life. And suddenly it's not just your stuff you're processing. <laughs> How are you going to have the strength? You've only got one heart. You're already struggling processing your own waste. We need to not ignore the fact that this is what our hearts do. Don't get proud and think that you don't have rubbish you need to process. We've got to build and strengthen our hearts. And then we're going to live beyond ourselves. We're actually going to be processing things for other people as well. We're going to be using that mighty muscle within us that God has placed within us to be lifting up the world around us. Here's a little saying for you. If you can't get over yourself, then undermine yourself. And here's an example for you. The Jebusites in 2 Samuel 5, 6. They were so proud of their high walls in Jerusalem. They said to David, you will not get in here. Even the blind and lame can ward you off. And yet, when they said that to David from their pride, they were prophesying their destruction. See, their pride and their walls had made them lame. They couldn't move. And their pride had made them blind to the very way that David, humble David, was going to enter into the city. Can you guess how? Through the lowest of places, the place that pride would never look, the sewer. 
What's that prison movie where he breaks out Shawshank Redemption? It was a reverse Shawshank. (laughs) They crawled into the city through the waste of the proud and they took the city. I love to take the Old Testament and to look at what it means psychologically and emotively in our lives today. I've already mentioned, we already prefaced this conversation by saying we are all proud. How then do we take the city back for God through our pride? We enter through the sewer. We say, God, I'm not good enough. I'm nothing compared to you. We consider others greater than ourselves, as the Bible teaches us to do. We enter through the sewer. Such a um, bit graphic, the image. (laughs) You know, God has placed in your life amazing gifts and abilities. And one of the things I like about this story is that the walls didn't come down. They were subverted. The perception was flipped. Those same walls, those same gifts and abilities, when the perception flipped, were going to be used by God. It wasn't the walls that were the problem. It was the attitude that inhabited them. Do you understand that? Like your pride is founded on the fact that God has placed his image in you. He's given you amazing gifts and abilities, but your perception of that needs to be right in order for you to live correctly inside your life. Cool. Feeling all right? That was pride. Are you ready for the next one? Fear. Hebrews 3.8 says, Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. I think one of the collective fears of mankind and of myself is that one day we'll look in the mirror and see the mistakes of our parents staring back at us, judging us. It's that iconic, iconic traumatic scene from Star Wars where Luke, the hero who's been desperately fighting the dark side, both in his own heart and in the world, has the mascot of the dark side himself say, Luke, I am your father. And little Luke, little Luke, no! (laughs) But it's the hopelessness of thinking that they couldn't win the battle and that we can't win it either. See that hopelessness? That's what affected Luke so greatly. Yes, once you get past the first wall called pride, you soon come to another wall called fear. And the hideousness, the sheer hideousness of this wall called fear reminds you why you needed to build pride to cover it in the first place. This wall called fear is made up of everything and everyone that ever hurt you. Each brick of it stacked on top of one another. 
You can't scale one of those things without all of it falling upon you, coming upon you. And it's not like any other wall you've ever seen. I don't know. I think that I, I've mentioned it already that the art is so often talks about what is happening inside of people. And sometimes when I used to go to Video Easy, when those places used to exist, <laughs> and you'd see these scary videos where there's these black hands, all these black, gooey, goopy hands reaching for people. And that is designed to evoke fear. It's designed for us to be like, well, what do they want for me? We don't even know. It's the unknown, but it's hurt. We know that it's going to hurt us. So we've seen this wall. And now the wall called fear is similar to pride in one sense. It doesn't like to be looked at. But where pride hides itself in denial, this wall called fear hides itself in your avoidance of it. And the moment that you even look at this wall, you freeze in your steps. You can't move. You're petrified. And waves of anxiety and depression and woe is me. And that's just too much stuff. I can't deal with that. They pull you in. They drag you in. In our minds, the emotions of sadness and surprise are closely linked to memory. And I find that really telling. Those times that hurt you, they're all linked in your minds. You can't go to one without bringing up the whole can of worms. So it drags you into that darkness. And it's all just too much. You try and numb yourself. Alcohol after work. Watch Netflix three shows later. <laughs> Maybe another girlfriend. But every time when that high wears off, you're back to that all-too-familiar dull ache. Have you felt this before? Can we get honest for a second? Have you felt it before? I have. Where I just was like, what did I do with that day? Get home from work. It sucks. Someone might have attacked you in your day for no reason. And all you want to do is escape somewhere. Maybe it's not even TV. Maybe it's a book. I don't know. Maybe it's a video game. But anything rather than go and spend time with God, you'll distract yourself with. You'll numb yourself with. You try and control your own fear. You're drowning. How could God allow this to happen to me? God doesn't love me. God must enjoy hurting me. This is the voice of fear speaking to us. When Joshua led Israel from their exodus, from their slavery, from their fear into the promised land, he also encountered a wall called Jericho. Only since they had overcome their fear, this encounter this time was not accidental. He was picking a fight with the biggest kid in the schoolyard. 
Because that's what happens when we overcome our fear. Israel had spent the last 40 years in the desert building their trust of God and crushing their reliance upon man, their slavery to man. And Jericho had heard their reputation and they were petrified of them. So what happens next? God asked Israel, we all know this story for those of us that have been raised in the church. God asked Israel not to go and attack the walls, but just to march around the walls for seven consecutive days. Just once each day, seven consecutive days. Now, if you're quaking in your boots in Jericho and you're seeing a whole body, a whole nation of people silently marching around the wall... These people are crazy, man. They spent 40 years living in the desert. (laughs) You don't know what's going to happen. It's like sharks circling the bait. (laughs) It's really getting to you. And on the seventh day, they were going to march around seven times, and then God had told them just to shout. So Jericho, in their fear, we see what fear does to Jericho. They cower. They refuse to either fight or to declare their fealty. All except for one woman, one lowly prostitute named Rahab. Rahab had harbored the Israelite spies when they'd come to check out the city. And she had declared her fealty to God. So on the seventh day, what happened? Seven times they marched around. And on the seventh time, when they shouted, the entire wall came collapsing down, except for Rahab's home, which was formed part of the wall. I think there's something powerful in the Spirit. Can you imagine? Can you imagine this whole city, miraculously, the whole wall comes crashing down and you're the one home that was saved? And when I think of Rahab and I think, what is her part in the story? Did God need Rahab to be able to use the faith of the Israelites to drop those walls? No, he didn't. So why is Rahab even there? Why was her home in the wall and her fealty to God even mentioned? And it's because God never desires to destroy us. He desires to save us. Our fear will tell us that God wants to destroy us. But if we'll declare our fealty to God, He'll deliver us from that fear. Do you know that Rahab goes on to become an ancestor of Jesus Christ himself? There's something that's here about the generations. One of the things that really is weird about this story is that when Joshua moves on from this place, he curses the ground and he says that if someone dares build up that wall again, that it will be at the cost of their firstborn son. 
because that is what the curse of fear does to the generations. It's the Darth Vader thing all over again. That if our parents couldn't win the battle, how am I going to win the battle? See, Rahab is the hope for all of us in this wall. She connects us to Jesus Christ himself. Fear is unlike pride. Pride is something that can be changed through perception, but fear is something that must come down. It must. I think about the physical world again here. When your body experiences pain and hurt in an area, what does your heart do? Does it run away? It pumps your blood straight to the site of the pain, straight to the hurt. And your blood knows what to do. It seals the gap. It fights off any disease that would seek to enter in at that spot. Why then, in our emotional lives, in our spiritual lives, do we run? Can't we learn this lesson? Can't we rush our faith to the side of the wound? Can't we seal it with our grace? Can't we use our spirit and the Holy Spirit that's within us as antibodies to fight off the disease that would seek to come in, that would seek to bind us up, to trap us, to turn our hearts to stone? Fear. No way. Not on Jesus' watch. No way. No way. Church, I've preached too long already. It's already time. I might just briefly mention to you that for shame, for shame, here's the wall I want to tell you about. It's a wall that is in the temple when God first asked them to build the temple. Once you go through the outer area and you move into the holy area and then into the holy of holies, what you encounter is basically another tent. It was a nine by nine meter cube. And the fabric was so thick that it was about 10 centimeters thick. And on the surface of it, angels had been... uh, had been embroidered into the surface of it, okay? Now you come to this wall, and this is what the voice of shame will tell you. And i got to tell you, this one hits home for me. You are not good enough, unlovable. Nothing you do even matters. Even God has given up on you. That's what the voice of shame would tell you. And you know what? You'll cast your eyes down and you'll be straight back in the Garden of Eden. You'll be naked and ashamed in your nakedness. You'll have the fruit, red-handed, the fruit in your hand. And every atrocity, every sin you've ever committed tattooed upon your body. And I had this image that when we come to this place of shame, 
We know we, when, we, when we feel that feeling, all we want to do is hide. And all that's there is the Holy of Holies. And there's no place of entry for us into the Holy of Holies. We instinctively know that to enter in this place, enter into that place means our own death. But anyway, we try and wrap ourselves in this curtain, right? I want you to use your creativity. And suddenly, suddenly those words, all our bad deeds, they fall off us and they wipe onto this curtain. And there's this thundering noise as this curtain is ripped, this nine-meter curtain from the top of the heavens down to the earth, ripped in half. And we realize that God was never trying to push us out. Jesus was the interface between God and man. That when his flesh was broken, he did so. He took your shame. He broke your shame. Your shame can't break you. Jesus breaks your shame. Come on, stand to your feet. I'll get you to close your eyes. You know, there is an anointing on today's service for your heart. And if you need that, then you've got to come up and get it. I love what David said after he was going through the hardest time in his life. And he's writing that psalm. He couldn't believe what he'd done. He couldn't believe what the sin in his heart had made him do to murder a man, to have adultery. And yet he went to God in the temple and he said, creating me a clean heart. Forget what I've got. God, I know you're the creator. I know you're all powerful. You can create in me a clean heart, oh God. Renew a right spirit within me. God, don't push me away. Take me not away from your presence. Renew a steadfast spirit. Today, God doesn't want to, He doesn't want you to push yourself away. He doesn't want you to look away. He wants you to look in. He wants you to find Jesus again. Church, we're going to sing praises to God now, but if you want to break something today, if you want to get back to that place of purity in your heart, Jesus will take whatever it is that you're willing to give him. He's already taken it. Just come up. I'll pray with you and we can give it to him together. Thanks, guys.